0: Welcome to Tech Matters, sharing our vast business and development experience with developers like you. Here are your hosts, Stephen Feather and Patrick Shetta. How would you decide on the technology used within your project?
1: Or the inverse of that, how would you decide which technology not to use?
0: Easily. (laughs) That's <laughs> um, so what we're going to discuss today: how to adopt new technologies or not to adopt new technologies. So let's talk first about where do most folks discover new technologies that they would be or are exposed to that they want to be considered inside their
1: organization. Well, I know a strong one that I see a lot is uh, through peers. Um, I want maybe peer pressure, but peers. You know, what are your friends talking about? What are they? Uh, what are they blogging about? Um, you know, chatting, Hey, have you tried out the new this or that? So I see that a lot and, um, being curious individuals that we are, you know, how do they know about that? And I don't, I better check it out
0: as a consulting firm. We get that a lot. Somebody will call and say, Hey, we just came across this. How can we fit this into the current project? Or would this be a good idea for a current project? Um, advertising is a huge one. Um, folks will be reading a magazine, reading a website and see an ad for something and go, Hey, that looks like it meets all of our problems, solves all of our needs. And so advertising is effective. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, Innovators and early adopters. So there is this book out called crossing the chasm, uh, which talks about innovation and startups and starting businesses and things like that. And uh, the, the, uh, basically, I talk about a bell curve, and the the left side of the bell curve is uh, it's the adoption curve. So the the innovators and the early adopters are on the left. So um, a lot of people want to be on that side of things, so that they can you know not only be involved in the latest and greatest, but there are those certain people who like to say, you know, I told you so. Although there, you know, there's hundreds of times they were wrong, but they want to you know. I-, I told you we should have adopted this technology.
0: That's true. They only ever remind you about the ones that they got right, not the, about their error rate. <laughs> yeah, I see that It's like a lot. the guys who predict things.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right.
0: um, okay, in an enterprise or a larger organization, it may be the pointy-haired boss who sits and says, I read an advertisement or my peers were sitting around the golf club, the, uh, they talking about this and we're going to overhaul the entire project and we're going to start using this technology. Absolutely. And I see that a lot. I <laughs> see that more often than we care to admit. Um, conferences. Conferences have been a good source of new information sometimes, but they have hot topics that seem to come up. You'll see an entire uh, generic conference, have a discussion about uh, react reactive programming, or we're talking about uh, functional programming, mm-hmm. or something like that suddenly seems to be the, uh, the course to fare for a conference. Yeah,
1: and, and I've even done it myself, where uh, I see a conference that, you know, like you just said, the web technologies are, are all going towards reactive and functional. And and as a validation, I might say, well, I don't know, are they? So I might look up conferences that I'm not necessarily going to attend but what what are the sessions? What are the sessions from last year and what are the sessions for this year? And you can kind of see, you know, where at least the organizers of the conferences are, are leading you. And hopefully that's based upon, you know, industry things. But um, definitely conferences, I think, influence a lot of things. I think that's true.
0: And there's a mix there because you've got the pointy hair bosses who go to some type of conferences. You have your peers that go to conferences. Um, I, I'd be willing to say that conferences are a huge effector of what gets adopted inside of an organization. Um, so somebody's come up with something new they want to play with. How do we evaluate that? I think he just made the assumption that you should evaluate <laughs> that by making that statement, but.
1: Right. And, you know, especially if the boss says, just go do it. Um, I think one of the first things that you have to do is, is you know, think of the, the business purpose. Does this even have a business purpose? Or is it just some cool new technology that someone saw? Uh, you know, what's the problem being solved? Um, I think a good example of something that would have a business purpose might be um, rules engines. It, it makes things... Simpler for the people configuring your logic, Um, but then something like, I don't know, what would be a good example of something that's not business?
0: Editors. I came across this cool editor, and I believe that thousands of people in our organization need to use the chocolate editor. Okay, so what's the business purpose in that? It obviously is going to cause some disruption, and we're going to walk through some of those risks, but... That doesn't seem like – on the surface, when looking at the needs of the organization against something as tiny as that, there doesn't seem to be a real business purpose there. Yeah, excellent example. Uh, That's an uphill climb to try to sell that to anybody. Yeah. Um, So after we decide if we've got a business purpose, we've got a need that needs to be solved, and we believe that this technology might be able to do that, the next one is to look at – let's talk about the risks that could occur. Um, Is it going to break stuff? that's that's a big concern uh does using an untested tool open the organization even even if it we can handle costs and some of the other stuff we're going to talk about a little bit but even if all of those are answered is there a possibility that using this new technology is going to open the organization up to some legal liability some risk of failure downtime those kind of
1: things yeah risk analysis definitely should be upfront.
0: i agree (laughs) um Because there's no reason to even evaluate the cost if on the face, we don't have a business purpose for it, and it seems to open us up to risk. Why waste the time evaluating other things? And if you stick with us, we're walking down through the list the way that we kind of look at things um, because we want to save time when we're working with our clients. If a client comes to us and says, I want to use a new editor, the first thing I ask is, what's your business purpose? And if they don't have one, then the answer is no. There's no reason to move down through the list of testing. Just we're done. Move on to something new. So risk is a big one. Pass that through legal. Legal folks always say no, by the way, if you've ever watched my business presentations, as much as I mock attorneys, every organization needs one and they default to no. So from a risk point of view, expect that group to say, no, we don't need this. Even if you do, um, complexity, complexity is one of those things because it's so complex, um, that's difficult to get good answers for. Um, how complex is this solution that you're bringing to me
1: right and and not only could the solution be complex in itself but it could add complexity to your whole chain to your whole stack which which we're talking about you know maybe you're not replacing your whole stack you're just replacing a piece but that might force you to replace something else um, yeah um, maybe it reduces complexity it could It could
0: solve, all right, let's talk about something, a a tangible suggestion. Um, An organization is using their own login methods through basically a REST API or something. And so they're doing their own management of users. They're handling the tokens themselves. And then they start thinking, you know, we could use single sign-on or um, shared sign-ons from Facebook, Twitter, GitHub, you know, anything else. And we can add that to our own users. That's a good thing because that will force them to change from basically just sending passwords and usernames back and forth, even if they're encrypted, to something OAuth style and they ought to change the way they handle that too because they're going to have to integrate. And so that could be good for the organization. It allows an increase in users. It meets, possibly meets a business purpose and a use. Does it open them up to risk? Yes, but we kind of believe at this point that, that over, the risk is overshadowed by the value that we're going to receive, and we're going to have an, possibly an increase in our own security that we didn't have before. That's a huge, very complex integration to do. Um, because now you've got to change every client to go past REST. Now we're using OAuth. You have to change your back end to handle and store the tokens from other OAuth providers. So, I mean, you're talking about a seriously complex situation. What's We've added complexity, but we've probably gained a huge value in that.
1: Right, and, and sometimes uh, you'll even see uh, with larger companies that um, auditing of what you're doing technology-wise is a very real thing. But I see sometimes that the auditing process is behind. And if you have something like roll your own login (laughs) and you make a good decision to switch to something OAuth, that was probably uh, a good thing that you didn't realize you just escaped some bad audit things. Absolutely. Uh,
0: Cryptology, uh, or if you're using um, any crypto in your project. I am amazed at the number of times folks will roll their own um, crypto. And the problem is crypto is so complex in and of itself that to roll your own is a sure, almost a surefire way to have a problem <laughs> and increase risk and ruin any chance of success that you're going to have. Because not everybody is a cryptologist and understands the complexity of the mathematics your stuff hasn't been vetted. It hasn't been looked at by peers. There, there's a huge reason. So there's certain areas the complexity um, lends itself to switching to new techs because it might be better. Um, if you're still using SHA-1, you should never mind. Um, different story. <laughs> Sorry. Um, all right. So complexity uh, costs. Costs are a big factor. Sometimes cost gets weighed more than the other criteria. Right. If it's low cost. Put it in, whether it increases complexity and we have a business purposes, increases risks, you know, all that kind of stuff. Put it in. is cheap. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we could have a good thing that gets kept out because the costs are too high and somebody didn't do the evaluation right. So let's walk through costs. Um, licensing. Oh, yeah. This is a big
1: one. Right. So licensing um, can be something that's maybe not thought of right away. Um, I know that um, I had been working on a project where we wanted to use a particular uh, source control. Uh, But it was for a a bank that auditors said, we don't like that uh, since it's on, you know, a a hosted, a publicly hosted uh, system. And then we came back and said, you know, they they offer this privately hosted, you could host it inside our firewalls. And it, you know, something incredibly cheap, $9 or something per year, I think, month, year, I don't remember. Um, And, uh, but it was a licensing cost and that one happened to be incredibly cheap, but, um, it had it been, you know, $9,000 a month, they almost certainly would have said no. And then, you know, maybe it wouldn't have happened.
0: Tooling. Tooling is a big one, uh, where you're licensing seats so that all of your developers have access to a platform or something. Um, it's really easy for the folks putting out the platform to sit and go, Oh yeah, we're just selling you this number of seats. Well, if you've got 10, 20, 25 folks and they're all a thousand dollars a month, who can absorb that kind of cost right away? Um, you've got to sit and really evaluate not just the benefits of what they say they're offering, but the cost, the benefits have to be so much greater than the cost. It, it can't be one to one because there's no reason to switch. Entropy keeps you in place, but you've, you've got to make that decision. Um, we dealt with MP3s as another licensing thing. Now, at this point in time, MP3s, the patent has kind of fallen off, and they're free to play anywhere you want, no licensing there anymore. But 20 years ago, um, we were working moving digital uh, analog content to digital, and all of the editors and the streaming players and everything else all had licenses for MP3s but we started to notice that the folks who held the patent for MP3s were going after companies that had converted, so they wanted licensing for MP3s sitting at rest, whether you actually listened to them or did anything for them, because you had something that had been encoded in MP3. That was an unknown license, and at the time, the laws weren't really good at protecting, so it all came down to whether or not a judge decided, yay or nay, that you violated a German patent. (laughs) Um, So those are the kind of, those are costs that usually are exponential when you're talking about licensing costs. um, They, they just seem to go up and up and up and up. Licensing fees never seem to come down.
1: And you make a good point. So if you're evaluating something new and and you're looking at the licensing and a lot of times people are going to do the freemium or the low barriers to entry and say, well, look, it's only, you know, $9. Sure. You have three developers. It's only $9 per year. How easy is that? But then when you get up to five developers, you know, it could Mm -hmm. get exponentially worse. So you, you got to plan ahead a little bit for that stuff.
0: And we only have a t that pricing is only for this tier. When you get to twenty five to fifty developers, it's this tier. When you're over a hundred, it's this tier. Uh, call sales. Uh, and, and if anybody <laughs> ever tells you call sales when it comes down to licensing their platform, run. Um, <laughs> from multiple years of experience, multiple platforms, run. Uh, new technology may require new staff, new managers, maybe even new business units. Folks don't tend to think about that when they come back with a great idea. Uh, One that I'm thinking of right now is machine learning is big buzzword right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Google, Apple, Microsoft, a bunch of folks are playing in that space. And if you were going to bring machine learning in, you're probably not going to pull your web devs or your mobile devs off and have them go work on a new machine learning project. They still have their own stuff to do, the purpose of a new machine learning business group would be to see how can we use that to leverage and make their jobs easier. They're not going to be in a position to sit and evaluate that at the same time they're doing their regular jobs. Mm-hmm. So you could have a sudden cost in increase in HR costs, I guess I'm, what I'm looking at there.
1: Yeah. Developers, managers, anything associated with a new team. Sure. Um, Hmm talk about risk, legal costs.
0: Sometimes when you open stuff up, you have new guys who aren't skilled in that area of law and they've got to go hire somebody new costs, more money there too. Um, whether you have to hire a new staff or not, it's probably going to need to retrain some folks. I'll let you hand,
1: walk through that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, training. So I've been on projects where, um, it, w- it was coming off of an old, uh, COBOL, uh, web interface to, to a COBOL system, an old financial system, but uh, the latest buzzwords were J2EE, so we want to move everyone to that, and it was certainly within their skill sets to do that, but it was a, a switch in, in mindset and training, and there was huge amounts of training to get all these people rolled over, uh, and they kind of did both. They, they uh, trained and rolled over the, the, the existing people that, that could and were willing. And then they also did the supplement with new staff. So the department actually grew a little bit, but um, it, it was not a replace them. And then everyone's fired. It was, well, you know, both, which did involve the training and it, it was a little bit painful. It was, I think it was more painful than they expected.
0: Anytime you deal with people, it's painful for someone. Whether it's dealing with folks who don't want to learn something new, dealing with people who can't learn something new, getting rid of people. Now, those are the downsides. It's also painful sometimes dealing with management who doesn't understand. Anytime you deal with people, it's painful. Um, and I think that's one of those things that you and I have on our track of things to discuss as we go on this year. Um, dealing with people and how to make that less painful uh, or actually maybe even pleasant if, <laughs> if we can get to that point. Um, Tooling. Tooling is a big deal. Most of us as geeks write scripts to save our time, uh, make our lives easier to automate things, uh, whether it's testing, workflow, whatever it is. Um, When we move into a new technology, our scripts may not be compatible with that new technology. So in addition to just that, now we look at all of the little pieces that we write to tie things together.
1: Yeah. So if you're an, you're an old Unix person, then you understand make files for your C, C++. And then let's say that your whole department has moved into JavaScript. Well, th- there's no such thing as make file in JavaScript, but there is. You know, there's grunt and gulp and these task runners. And, and I've seen this, some of the, the, the legacy mentalities, for lack of a better word, you don't get it well, why would I go use this thing called grunt? What is that? Oh, it allows you to do this and this and this. And then you see the light go on and go, ah, that's a make file. That's right. And then they're like, aha. Uh-huh. Now, so so not only is there the cost of doing the tooling, there's the cost of discovering it and understanding what it is and why it's there. And I'm talking just, you know. Oh, absolutely. Some of the old timers like myself. But but the, the bare minimum is there's the implementation cost.
0: There's days I still just, accidentally type make install and wait a minute that, that, that's not there anymore the problem with many years of uh, what do they call that muscle memory you just get into it um, but even in now you get a decision so let's say you move to JavaScript and this is where complexity comes in and it just kind of cascades over which one am I choosing grunt or gulp so I made this other decision that requires me to make another decision and but I read a website that said somebody can use uh, NPM for all of your build stuff um, hmm no um so now i got shell scripts that run from my npm run because i can't do complex command lines in npm should have used the task runners yeah so right away we've got additional complexity building just because we decided to go to javascript not that javascript's bad but just in this case okay right um (laughs) infrastructure costs this is a huge one um a lot of times devs aren't the guys, uh, a guy writing code for an application isn't thinking about DevOps. We see a little bit of a change in mentality over the last couple of years where we kind of bring those two parties together. But when you're talking enterprise, they are separate entities. You have the guys that write code and you have the guys that run the systems. And unless they happen to meet at the donut stand, you're never going to see them together. Except maybe by email because they, you know, the devs always give them something at five o'clock on Friday. It gets released, and bad things happen over the weekend. But that's like the only time we ever talk. But so when you're talking about infrastructure, you need to make sure that if you've taken two years to develop a product, that hmm, somebody took into account maybe what the cost to run the server that's supposed to sit on is, so your product does, suddenly doesn't come up short on budget two years down the line. Right.
1: <laughs> Go ahead, if you yeah. want. <laughs> I, I was just going to say a generalized term. Yeah, there's huge infrastructure uh, considerations, uh, the the networking, the the database guys and gals, the security. You know, all kinds of things, especially if you're introducing a new system um, like you see a lot with financial. I know I talk about financial a lot where uh, they keep the old layers. They keep the layers all the way back to the COBOL and then everything that new comes along. So if now you're adding a new mobile product that's going to hit a brand new mobile web service, Mm -hmm. well, that web service is written on top of a previously existing service that, you know, and and it bounces up and down. So you get all kinds of complexity just by introducing and using the latest architectures and things and like that's that. that's
0: just one vertical so now they say well we want to have a chat bot for messenger for ios well you're probably not designed to use the calls that were made by ios for your mobile side of things or android so now you've got another level of apis talking to middleware that's talking to middleware talking back to the original mainframe systems or many mainframes well what's next well we got a lexus skill well, what's the best place to host that Well, we could host it on our own, but our server is so slow that it won't get accepted, so we're going to put that on Lambda. Well, we can't put everything on Lambda because that violates the uh, security guy's recommendations. So we're going to have to have another API that's used for that because that data is smaller and we have to support SSML and we're not actually sending back HTML or raw data to the browser. So we got this, holy cow, what did you want to do? I just wanted to check to see what my balance was. (laughs) And then we've increased, depending on how I talk to my the vendor that I'm using as a user, in the background, you've got all these APIs that had to be written because somebody required us to go back to one middleware
1: layer. And, and maybe the the, uh, the analysis we talked about, the business, you know, the business reason for having this absolutely justifies it. Absolutely. But <laughs> the complexity now and is... And your cost just skyrocket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, implementation. So...
0: <laughs> Yeah, we know we have all of this. How much is it going to cost to actually do? So when you're talking about infrastructure, you're talking about maybe a server that costs us to spin up, costs us to keep running. We have a rough idea what that is based on the number of users, and we might have some variables. We know what our tools are going to cost. Well, how much is it going to actually cost us in man hours to put all of this together, to sync it so that everything works the way our clients expect them to?
1: Right, and and th- what comes to mind for me is parallel rollouts. So I have a couple examples. I'll try to m- keep them short. Um, financial systems. So typically, um, you you might be working on some some legacy system and and not build on top of it, but have to replace it. Uh, so what you would do is you would build your parallel system, and and then you would start to slowly route traffic to the new system until you can. Uh, Verify functionality, and then pretty soon you've you've made the big switch, and, and everything's over on the new system. But um, y- there's a huge amount of cost to getting the system in place, getting all the functionality there, doing the, the you know the parallel rollouts, uh, which users are on it, which users are you now introducing frustration to because things don't work. Yep. Um, that's one example. Another example is I worked at a uh, a large telecom company that was a lot of 40-year-old-plus uh, men and women, uh, extremely smart people, but they were C programmers. Uh, telecom goes back a long way in in written in C. And they were updating the project uh, by some mandate that was delivered to them six months prior to me getting there, that they had to switch to C++ and object-oriented, probably because the guy who invented C++ worked for the same company, maybe, uh, but but it was mandated, and the people were very resistant to it. Why should I? I don't get the benefits. You know, object-oriented, that's just like structs with functions. or You know, some some minimal justification for resistance. So, so what happened was they had to take all the C code and get it to compile under the C++ compilers, just bare minimum so that it worked exactly the same. And then from there, you had to um introduced the training, the, the language learning, the object-oriented mentality, which very small percentage of people in the real world actually understand it for what it is, in my observation. Um, so there was all these training costs and there and there's huge resistance either from from the attitude, you know, the old timer attitude, to I just don't get it. I do not get this object-oriented. So You know that was kind of a parallel rollout, not in a system, but in in a methodology and a language and a a design methodology that I saw that was it was pretty painful to watch, actually.
0: Change hurts. Um, (laughs) Depreciation. So this is a big one. This is one that the average geek doesn't look at because they're focused on. The now, when you're a business, you're looking at the future. If we make this change, how long before we have to make the next change? If you had bet on uh, trying to think of particular technologies, uh, but we won't do a specific, but let's say (laughs) you had bet on a specific technology and within two years, the platform that that technology was based on is gone. kaput. Well, now we've got to change to something new and that's a tough one because it is hard to give a definitive dollar value or value of any kind when you don't know when it's going to be depreciated or when it's going to be deprecated how far out down the road is this going to last if you're a young gun startup you may be able to absorb that because you can pivot real fast and say okay we got young guys who can learn something real fast and we've got a small organization we're very quick and agile we can do that if you're an enterprise. You have to really think through a big change. We want to move all of our web services off of individual uh, web servers that we manage with our web teams, and we want to give them all to a platform to manage. Now, the advantage of, let's say, something like that as a hotel is that all of our little microsites come from one place. There's access to all of the media that we uploaded. That sounds like a great idea. But when you're sitting inside of a giant hotel chain, where you sit and say, well, don't we already have our assets sitting in one place? Don't we already, our people know where that is? Can't we get that? Yes, we know we have a cost every time we spin up a new little server for each of these mini sales sites. What happens if the other guy that we put everything into vanishes overnight or changes their business model? That's a big one, particularly when you're dealing with startups offering services On the whim of a CEO, suddenly they decided to go down a different path and, you know, darn their torpedoes. This is the direction we're going, you know, full steam. And we don't care what our customers are using or how they think. I mean, this happens. And so when you're talking about that, that is a huge burden to overcome from a business point of view. Um, and while we talk a lot about tech business, the reason we're all in tech is to make money, right? And if we're not making money, which is the business side of things, then we need to question how we're doing our tech. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. Great point. I said a lot and probably shouldn't have, um, we'll run through the rest of these pretty quick side effects,
1: good and bad. Right. Um, so like we had mentioned, um, you know, some of the latest buzzwords as of now are, you know, Function chaining, reactive programming. You haven't
0: noticed when it comes to buzzwords. We're usually stop. Big sign. Let's not think about going there right away. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we're not necessarily the uh, the earliest adopters of buzzwordy things. We're old enough to be cautious. Yes, uh, but l- like I said, function chaining, yeah. reactive, functional programming. You know, these are all the things that are being said now. These are on all the conference itineraries. Um, but some of the side effects that are being promoted might not necessarily be what what someone else would consider a positive side effect. For example, one of the things that they promote is, um, you know, you don't have to keep track of state. If you're just chaining functions, there's no state, you don't manage state at all state disappears. Well, the truth is, it's just hidden from you. It's being managed by, you know, the syntax or the language or the tool. Um, So that's positive. So if you're not if you don't have to declare a huge imperative function like this and it can be reduced down to one or two lines, heck yeah, that's a, an advantage because you're not tracking state and everything just works. So that might be an advantage, but that might be a disadvantage to someone else uh, down the road who has to debug this. And, and maybe something's broken the library. Maybe it wasn't quite done correctly for the data. The new data set doesn't work right or something. Um, try to debug that um good luck i think the uh, the answers that they give now is will you just throw some debugging functions within the chain you know to me that it's not making things easier to figure out personally
0: i agree with that and actually when i hear things like we'll just you know add some logging in these various functions and i'm sitting there thinking the whole purpose of writing these functions were to do one thing, do it well, and only do that one thing. And if I've got to come back and add some logging to check out your, um, your, your function in the chain, then something was broken to begin with. Right. And, I, I, and we're losing time at that point down the road. And then for me, time is money.
1: Right. So, so the, the advantages of making my code smaller uh, uh, to read is not, Necessarily a long-term advantage. Uh, for all you young guns out there, take that advice.
0: <laughs> and we're not saying that functional programming or reactive programming are necessarily uh, just by their being evil or wrong. I think there's just some really bad implementations of some really good ideas. Right. I think that's kind of where we're at.
1: And in fact, I've had a discussion with Stephen before about um, the, the whole concept of reactive. Uh, when I was on a Y2K project in 1998, 1999, we implemented our own, what is now called reactive.
0: Wait, you, you managed to start in 1998. All of our projects didn't wait until the last half of '99 to think about changing. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead.
1: I, I might be fuzzy on when we started, but it was painful. <laughs> but but the, conceptually, I absolutely agree with it. It's so much that we wrote something very, very similar. Didn't make a library out of it and didn't publish it open source, which was unheard of at the time. But So I totally agree with it, but I don't agree with it necessarily the reasons people are touting it for now.
0: It's like saying, hey, we're um, using a hammer to drive all of these screws. Well, maybe we don't need a hammer. What we need is a better screw gun. Yeah. Just, just thinking. Um, when walking through your decision-making process, there are two groups that... Um, probably ought to have a discussion with. Internally, it doesn't need to be just one, your, your business group that's having a discussion about a new technology. It needs to be overall, everybody who is a stakeholder that you touch, your organization touch, and by organization, I mean your micro entity, your business unit. Um, if, you're, if you affect sales, sales needs not necessarily have a tech discussion about it, but they need to know the ramifications of what might be coming next. Mm -hmm. Um, same thing applies. I mentioned DevOps earlier. You've got to talk to DevOps. They've got to know what you're going to need when you're pushing this to the servers. Um, your it guys need to know if you're going to need new storage servers locally, or you're going to need new systems because you need more Ram. There's those kind of things. And you can't just make a decision in a vacuum.
1: And a good, another thing that I could add on to that is maybe there's other development teams in the company who are ahead of you technology-wise, maybe are using this particular thing or have tried it and turned it down mm. and you just don't know about it yet. So you could ask around development too.
0: Very good. Uh, the other group that you could ask because they were probably exposed more to your to new technologies than your in-house is consultants. And I don't say that just because that's what we do. Um, but. There's a lot to be said for having an outside firm coming in with fresh eyes, looking at your organization, asking questions that your managers, HR leaders are afraid to ask um, because that, you know, when you're paying a consultant to come in, they don't care. They don't know any of the people. They're asking questions for the sake of getting the job done. And they can sit and look at you and maybe give you an answer real quick after a couple hours. Uh, Absolutely not. You should have no – you shouldn't even touch this technology because it's going to cause these things. And the reason you're asking them is they have experience in an area that you don't have an experience in and aren't expected to have an experience in.
1: Right. And they could even bring – like we just talked about reactive. They could raise the question – here are some of the side effects of use, the negative side effects of using reactive things. Are you prepared to handle those? That maybe your maintenance down the road could be affected. Is that important to you or not? Sure. Just asking the question, not even telling you to use it or not use it.
0: Yeah, we're but, not. We're, we're making a quantitative type statement or question, not looking for a qualitative yet.
1: Yeah, and you're not going to get that from, from the websites. Oh, absolutely not. are you know, well, here's some negative long term side effects. Yeah. So you, you get a consultant who might know better.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the last stage, and we recommend this, and you've heard us say this before proof of concept. If you've gone through all of the other stuff and none of them have raised a giant red flag that said, absolutely not. If you're at a whole bunch of maybes, then at that point, take all those little maybe yellow lights and sit and say, all right, let's try this on a small scale and do a proof of concept. What's it going to look like? grab a couple of guys, girls, developers, put them on a dedicated R&D team, could be short-term. I mean, some of these decisions you may know, the first day everybody gets together, they sit, they try to install whatever the tooling you're gonna be and they're gonna go, there is no way we're rolling this out to 10,000 workstations. It is not happening, this is crap, and it's not ready for production yet. Um, It could be a weekend and they say, you know what? This has bugs, but I think we can make this work. We've got good guys in our organization, we can make this work. But until you get to that point, you're not going to know for sure some of these other things. How bad does it break your tooling? Um, I, I, I'm a big proponent of proof of concepts.
1: Right. And I think you uh, put some emphasis on the word that you said dedicated team. If you got people who are kind of looking at it in between production bugs, you're not getting the proper evaluation.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Because there are times pulled different places. And then the last part of that is what kind of performance are we going to get? Um we're working in a perfect environment. If it doesn't work in our perfect test environment, then it's not going to work in production for us. That's, that's, a, that's a huge one. Absolutely. So I think those are the kind of things that uh, I hope that answered the question we were asked of what we do when we're looking at new technologies. Uh, and we wanted to take that approach. So appreciate you taking the time to spend it with us.
1: Thanks for listening.